Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Basil Favis. I'm an elder here at Westview Bible Church, and uh, I'm also part of the preaching team. So beautiful, beautiful Sunday. I think spring is here, right? What do you say, everyone? What a relief, always in Montreal, right? Anyhow, lovely, lovely day. Um, just wonderful to see you all here and ready to come and to praise the Lord. What the Lord has put on my heart this morning and to share with you is that we're two weeks out of Easter. And a lot of times we leave an Easter message for Easter. But Easter, what the Lord has put on my heart is that God has a message for us at Easter about the resurrection that is meant to take us all the way through the year. So God has really put that on my heart. And, and the question that will be for you is, how is the resurrection life changed me? How is the resurrection life going to take me through the rest of this year? And the title of the sermon today is, How the Resurrection Changes Everything. So let's just, uh, let's just go to prayer. Lord, we thank you for going ahead of us. We thank you that you have prepared our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would descend upon this place. Give us the words. Open our minds. And Lord, have your way mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start right away, and we're going to go back into the story of the resurrection. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start from there. Hold on a sec. We will get this on. Yes. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So two weeks ago, we celebrated the death of Christ. And we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. It's kind of interesting because... Philosophers from the time of Plato right up to recently have all said, whether they're Christian or not, that in order to understand life, you need to look at death. 
Death is not something that's easy for us to look at in our society. In fact, it's something I would say that we probably actively avoid. But the death and resurrection of Christ is the most phenomenal look at death and life that has ever been displayed. And the reason I come back to it today is because it's meant to be something that works in power through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, right through the year. So the resurrection, actually already, as if you were to read all of Matthew 28, there's, the response to the resurrection takes a lot of forms. The resurrection has been outright disbelieved. And the resurrection has also been misunderstood. And by misunderstood, we live less than what God's intent was for the resurrection for us to know. You see, actually, all of these things in Matthew chapter 28. When told about Jesus by the angel, Mary and the other Mary accepted it immediately in their heart. When the news was given back to the chief priests, they disbelieved it right away and they were told to propagate a lie that his body had been stolen. Another response to the resurrection. And finally, you have the disciples themselves who, having heard about it, first of all, actively doubted and in many cases doubted right up until the time that they saw Jesus himself. So the resurrection has been disbelieved, and the resurrection has also been misunderstood. It's kind of interesting because if you were to ever read about the resurrection actively in some really good sources and different things, it's kind of always interesting because when people talk about the resurrection, they always end up talking about science. Kind of funny, I mean, not scientist, as, as most of you know. And they'll say, well, you know, of course, science, this doesn't happen. You don't die and come back to life. This doesn't actually happen. This can't be. And then, you know, so, you know, people, even Christians, somehow tend to kind of give that voice even to science. And I thought I would talk to this idea of disbelief, first of all, before we even go anywhere. So I actually had a really interesting conversation with another friend of mine who's actually also a professor of science, not a Christian, but someone who I've known for years. I care for him deeply. I love him, Kathy and I, and, and his wife, and, and, and we're very, very good friends. Um, and we were just together in a cafe, just talking, and somehow we got talking about our faith, as somehow we do, and his wife said, well, you know, of course, you know, the resurrection. I mean, you don't believe in that. You can't. It's impossible. And then Paul and I, this friend of mine, we just got talking. And anybody who has actually actively carried out scientific research, the impact of that is not to tell you how much you know, but it is to tell you how little you know. That is how actually even education works on us. Not to tell us how much we know, but actually to actively tell us how little we know. And we got to talking, and this is with a person who's a scientist and not a Christian, and we said, well, if there is a God, and if there are things that are outside of our reach, which is the case which we see every day in my field, if I open one door with one of my students of research, it opens five behind that. If we open that, five more behind that, you never come to the end of it. Scientists will say in their work that they've touched infinity. And in this talk with my friend, we said, well, if there's a God that created this universe, if there's part of this universe that's beyond our understanding, 
wouldn't it be likely that this God would somehow come and show his mastery over all things? And my friend said, you know what? I could absolutely be. And of course, we have no historical proof you know, of the resurrection. And if you're interested in this, you look into someone like Gary Habermas. But we are, as Christians, meant to look at the resurrection of Christ as a bodily resurrection from the dead. And it is at the core, at the core of our faith. And what I want to talk about to today and the, what is in my heart is that we don't dumb down the impact of the resurrection in our lives through the rest of the year. That somehow there is something that is meant to burst through. And I hope that comes through today. I want to start with a poem. Uh, it's a poem um, that was uh, actually quoted by Tish Warren, who is, uh, writes opinion pieces as a Christian for the New York Times. And at Easter, she wrote this, she talked about this poem. It's a poem by John Updike called Seven Stanzas at Easter. I'm going to read four of the first stanzas. Make no mistake, if you rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's disillusion did not reverse, the molecules renet, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The Christian faith is founded on the most amazing supernatural event that this world has ever seen, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We can disbelieve this. We can diminish this. But the bodily resurrection of Christ is saying, death is conquered. Miracles can happen. God is saying, my spirit will awake this resurrection life in you. Resurrection life is not just about getting saved and going to heaven. And although some people outright disbelieve the resurrection, this is actually a way of diminishing the resurrection. Resurrection life is not just about getting saved and waiting somewhere and to go to heaven. It is a powerful, it is alive, and it is about the here and now. We are called to be a part of bringing about the kingdom of God in this imperfect and broken world today. And that is what resurrection life is about. N.T. Wright, an amazing book, and I will be uh, using this book throughout this entire sermon this morning. N.T. Wright is one of the most prominent New Testament theologians. He wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. And he, calls he says resurrection life is this. 
Resurrection life is to allow one's entire life to be reshaped by him. Knowing that though this will be painful because we butt up against that, it will be the way not to a diminished or cramped human existence, but to genuine human life in the present and to complete, glorious, resurrected human life in the future when Christ returns. N.T. Wright. Romans chapter 6, verses, starting at verse 5, and we're going to read to verse 8. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Scripture is clear that as Christians, we are united with Christ in his death and united with Christ in his resurrection. Oswald Chambers says that, he goes even farther, he says we're actually co-crucified with Christ and co-resurrected with Christ. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So founded on the love of God for us, the cross breaks the back of sin and offers forgiveness but the resurrection, resurrection in life, supernaturally builds the attributes of Christ in us. And this is a story not just about the death and resurrection of Christ. It becomes a story of death and life for each of us as individuals. Our old selves are crucified, co-crucified with Christ. But we are also co-resurrected with Christ. Just like there was in that poem, the amino acids come together, the, the molecules come together. We come and we are made into something new. Actually, we are made into a new creation. And scripture is clear about that. And God builds with his resurrection life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke, when the resurrection is talked about in Luke and at the end of Luke, just as the Lord leaves and ascends to heaven, he, he says to his disciples to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit, when we have accepted the forgiveness, Christ's forgiveness, when we, have been, we, 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 we nail that old self to the cross, accept the death of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit completely, totally changes us it is no less a supernatural event than the resurrection of Jesus himself. We are co-crucified and co-resurrected. And I feel sometimes, and I know at least for myself, I diminish this. So resurrection life supernaturally builds the attributes of Christ in us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. I want to know Christ. 
Yet to know the power of his resurrection and participation, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If we are to understand the resurrection life, as Paul has just said here, we have to understand that we live in a moment where we're called to bring the kingdom of God here, but we're called, in an, it's an imperfect time. The kingdom of God has not yet been fulfilled, but the kingdom of God has come, and we're called to speak into this. But we know that the kingdom will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. We are actually called to look to the second coming of Christ as a light of what this world could be is what Paul is saying. And to bring this light through the power of the Holy Spirit into the broken parts of the world where he has placed us. Kierkegaard, the philosopher, says that although we are living the life of Christ imperfectly in our flesh, we are meant to hold up the ideal, just as Paul said, and seek it as a bright light. So God is calling each of us each of us, actually, to imagine in whatever God has put us in, in the, how many people are here, I mean, in every, in the hundreds of ways of the people who are here this morning, to imagine that resurrection life into the place where God has put you today. Imagining the kingdom of God in its fulfillment as an ideal and asking God by his spirit to allow us to bring that into the brokenness of the here and now. Resurrection life through the Holy Spirit builds the attributes of God in us. And as we present those attributes to this world, it's meant to bring a hope to this world. N.T. Wright and Surprised by Hope talks about three areas there are many, because as God builds the attributes of God in us, we could talk about many things. But he talks about three key areas that the resurrection life will work out through us in his, as his people. Justice, beauty, and evangelism. N.T. Wright identifies these three key areas. All built on the foundation of God's love. Not separate, but woven together into a message of transformation, restoration, and healing. If you look at justice, Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Hosea 12.6 says, But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. Resurrection life in us is going to make us into a people that seek justice in this world. 
the resurrection life, when God is formed in us, when, that, when those molecules are renewed, just like it was for Jesus, as the attributes of Christ through time are formed in us, our hearts melt. We become a people that are sensitive to pain, to hurt, to suffering, and to injustice all around. Globally, community, and in the personal spaces where God has put us. N.T. Wright says, part of the task of the church must be to take up that sense of injustice, to bring it to speech, to help people both articulate it and then turn it into prayer, and we are also then called to take it to action. So I have a story about this in our own lives. Um, it's an interesting story, and you will all have stories in your own life because this is the challenge to us today. How do we imagine God's resurrection life into the place where God has put me today? Um, about three years ago, I think it was three years ago, um, we were invited by someone uh, by the name of Matt Wilson. I don't know how many of you remember Matt. Um, <clears throat> Matt was a member of Westview for a period of time. And Matt just kind of gave Kathy and I a call. Um, Matt is a high school teacher. And um, he had been um, uh, actually named to represent one of the unions for the Pearson School Board. And he said, Basil, Kathy, and our son Christopher, he said, we just love it if you could come, and I would like you to speak with a group of about 110 teachers from the Pearson School Board who are dealing with special needs. Would you come and speak to us on that through your experience? And we're going, oh, wow, okay, first of all, you know, we're so busy with what we do, we don't often realize that we actually have something to say. And this is where we actually need each other, and maybe this is where you need the sermon this morning. I actually needed Matt, and Kathy and I needed Matt to reach out to us in his Christian love to tell us, I think I see something in you, and I would love you to talk about this. Kathy and I and Christopher, we were brought there as invited speakers, you know. It was just, it was beautiful. And both Kathy and I presented something which we called, and you know, it was about meeting, about how do you deal with issues of chronic health issues, for example. These are people who are teachers who deal with special needs and people who, are, who have difficulties and, 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 and issues. We've had to deal with chronic health issues. And, and what God put on our heart to speak to this group of people was, how can we reimagine a world where the people who are chronically ill are not just sort of dropped off and forgotten because we live in a world that does, 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 and has to perform, but where they are taken as being fully human. And we are able to present that to a non-Christian audience because that is just the Spirit of God speaking out to us and saying that in that time we said without our faith we would not have been able to make it through. And we shared our faith at that time. Now God, it's a beautiful thing because 
I don't know, Kathy and I would not have come up with that. We would have never thought to ask Matt to do that. He, we rely on each other. But we are called, whatever circumstances we've been in, by the power of the Holy Spirit to reimagine a world with what God has put on your heart. Does that come through, everyone? Amen? The second area that, and these are very concrete ways of seeing justice is one, so that's a justice, an aspect of justice. Um, the second area that N.T. Wright talks about is beauty. Uh, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. N.T. Wright says, when people cease to be surrounded by beauty, they cease to hope. Our God is a God of beauty. I am sure that I was to talk to you about most of you, about your walk to Christ, and how God brought you to, to a decision to follow him and to give your life to Christ. For many, many people, something about nature is in that story. There's something about God's beauty and God's power and what's been created. In nature, we see the beauty of what God has done. But resurrection life in us is actually also calling us to be involved in creative acts in our world. Whatever you're called to do in this world is a creative act. You're taking something, whatever it is that God has called you into, and you're shaping and making something new. It actually, resurrection life, gives value to everything we are doing at every moment. We don't do our work and then come back to church to somehow have some sort of spiritual food. God is penetrating everything, every ordinary thing that we're doing, every creative act that we're do doing, is meant to somehow demonstrate also the beauty of who our God is. So I have another story about this one. And um, uh, when I was... Um, uh, initially wondering about whether I would become a professor at the university. Um, some opportunities opened, and it looked like it was, looked always like it was going to be possible for me to become a professor at the university. I had a hang-up. I had a big, big hang-up, and it was blocking me. And it's because in my experience, when I was doing graduate work, I didn't particularly feel that students were particularly well regarded. And I felt that a lot of students were kind of used to sort of move someone's reputation forward. And they were just used as devices and hands and arms. And I said, like, how can I go? You know, how can I be a, am I to be a part of that? Kind of, you know, is that what I'm going to be a part of? And it was almost like the Holy Spirit said, but it was an imagining again. An imagining of the world that God has, not to be limited by the way the world is, but to imagine what God has and then to be called to bring that into this world. It's like the Lord said to me, you know, Basil, I don't disagree. I think that's a really good idea, and I think you've analyzed that perfectly well. 
but you don't have to build a group the same way as the others have done in my strength. So wherever we are and what we've done and the one thing that God put on my heart, it was like God's just brought me to my knees with that. Is that we can have a research group where you care about people and you still do the work. Where people are nurtured and cared for when they understand also that they have a life outside. And it's really interesting because it's just God's grace and I'm not meaning to turn anything towards myself. It's just God's grace. But every single student who has finished with me in the dedication of their thesis, they thank me that a group was built that respected life. And almost with all of my students at some point, I've had a chance to talk to them about Jesus. We are called into hard places, everyone. We're not called always into easy places. And we're not called to withdraw, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to imagine that second coming of Christ, imagining that fulfilled kingdom, and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that resurrection life into this broken world. And the last point is evangelism. So these are three areas. There are many others, of course, but justice, beauty, and evangelism are three ways in which we see that the Christian community is meant to bring about a kingdom of God in this earth. So evangelism, if we go back to Matthew 28, where we started, but now we end at the end of Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. The scripture says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When God builds that resurrection life with us, and as this grows day by day in our lives, we know that God has a heart for people. We know that God desires to be in relationship with his people. And that heart that God has for his people becomes a heart that God has put in us for his creation. But evangelism is a connection if we understand resurrection life. And if resurrection life is building the attributes of God in us, then we understand that evangelism is a connection between the life lived and the words spoken. And God, through his resurrection life in us, will reveal himself to the world through us. We diminish the resurrection life when there's a disconnect between the lives that we live and the words that we speak. But resurrection life and its power creates this deep desire in us to see others come to know Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright says it's a message of healing. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of new starts. And it's a message of free energy, of fresh energy. God is so good. God is so good. So resurrection life, actually, for all of us, 
is this amazing call to purpose. Today, not sort of like putting away Monday to Friday and sort of coming back for some sort of spiritual injection, God is calling us into purpose as soon as we step out of this church, actually in this moment, even in this church with each other and right through the week. By the release and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are formed over time more and more into the image of Christ. It is a resurrection life story. We are knitted together molecule by molecule just as Christ was in that poem into a new creation. And that resurrection life in us is not meant to be in a cocoon, not meant to be running away from this world. This resurrection life in us is meant to stand in the gap for God in this world that we live in. We're not to withdraw from this world into a type of cocoon. And this is clear. Actually, it's right in Westview's mission statement. To be a community fostering restoration and transformation of all people and all things through a vibrant relationship in Jesus Christ. Your leadership understands this. But we're not to withdraw from this world into a type of cocoon, rather into this flawed and broken world. This resurrection life in us is called to bring acts of justice, beauty, and evangelism as acts of healing, transformation, and restoration, and as a pointer to the kingdom of God that is to come. In his name, amen. Let's just pray, everyone. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you've not left us alone here. But you have, through your death and through your resurrection, O oh God, you have infused us, O oh Lord, with your life. You have forgiven us for our sins and infused us with new life. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to release the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to call on you, O oh God, to penetrate every part of us. And Lord, lead us, guide us, help us, O oh Lord, to stir each other as parts of a community, oh God, to stir in one another this beautiful, beautiful purpose that you have for us. Help us to reimagine, oh God, this world that we live in, this community that we're a part of. In Jesus' name, amen.